Numbers chapter 13, verse 23. Numbers 13, verse 23. If you're there, say amen. And they came unto the brook Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. I want you to, to notice that we've got grapes and pomegranates and figs. Somebody say fruit. They are tasting of the fruit of the land. The place was called the brook Eshcol because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel had cut down from thence. You could also look at this and it wouldn't be wrong contextually to say they named it after the grapes because they made such an impression. The grapes were so large. They, they called the place Eshcol because they were so impressed with the fruit of the land. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. Now, for the sake of time tonight, I want to help you with the rest of the story. There were 12 men that went in to spy. We know the story. Ten came out griping. Ten came out saying, there's no way. I like to say it like this. Two came out with grapes. Ten came out with gripes. It's about right. And the men that were impressed with the fruit of the ground, the fruit of the land, said, we can do this. And the ten, the majority, tasted the same fruit that the other men did. But in their frustration, they said, we can't do it because it's too big for us. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but for context tonight, I want to tell you that it wasn't just fruit that they were tasting. It was the first fruit. God let them taste the first fruit of the land. But their frustration, their frustration, what God meant to be a foretaste of what was to come became frustration. And they were frustrated at first fruits. They were frustrated at first fruits. That's what I want to preach to you tonight. Frustrated at first fruits. Could we pray together? God Almighty, if I've ever needed you, Lord, I need you tonight. There's some hungry people here, Lord, that need to hear a word from heaven. I'm asking you to help me, God. I'm just a man. There's only so much I can say and do. But with your spirit and your power tonight, you can move on this house and you can help us. Lord, would you tonight, we'll give you the praise and the thanks and the glory in Jesus' mighty name. And let the church say amen. And now without one moment's quiet time between the amen, I want us to lift a high praise to the Lord. Could we do it? Come on. He's been good. Hallelujah. 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 You may be seated in Jesus' name. Frustrated at first fruit. This is a story that uh, I've preached so many times through the years, but it is, it's more than a story. It's more than a narrative. It's a principle. And it's a very powerful principle that we need to understand. I want you to know that 
When God speaks to us, he's not like your neighbor up the street that speaks to you. Anybody in here ever had somebody tell you they were going to take you to shop or take you to get a Coke or whatever, and that they didn't come through and you felt disappointed? Well, you've got to quit putting God in that same mold of measurement. Now, the, the difference is sometimes men can come in and try to make up later, you know, the, the people that let you down. They say, hey, I'm sorry, I forgot. Let's go now. That's happened to me before. They say, I'm sorry, I forgot about that last week. Let's go have lunch today. But let me tell you about God. You can't put him in the same mold. Because just, just because God didn't take you to lunch when you wanted him to, the difference is, is that if I fail to take you, I either got busy or forgot. God doesn't get too busy and God don't forget. God's working on a plan. And that's what you need to know tonight. Just because you don't have an answer yet doesn't mean he's forgot. You may not have an answer yet, but it doesn't mean he's too busy. You may not have an answer yet, but it doesn't mean he's failed you. And that's where the enemy likes to work on your mind. Well, he hasn't answered yet, so he's not going to answer yet. And so many people give up just before the answer comes. And when they do that, they miss it. And then they, they pull themselves into this turtle shell of disappointment and doubt and confusion and frustration. And they are so upside down with God and they live the rest of their lives in a shell of bitterness toward God because God didn't answer their prayer. Well, the only way God doesn't answer prayer is when we quit before he answers. Woo! You know, there's something to be said. You can look at it sad, and I don't want to chase this rabbit trail too far, but you can't really preach what I'm preaching without talking about Hebrews 11. The Bible said that there, there were some that died... In the faith, not having possessed the promise. You know why that's powerful? Because the day they drew their last breath, they still believed God could. That means they didn't give up. That means they didn't see it from this side, but from the other side, they saw the fulfillment of what God could do. But I want to tell you, in heaven... You're not going to be disappointed. In heaven, you're not going to feel like there's been a delay. Once you make it, you've made it. But all the disappointment and all the frustration comes on this side. Why does that matter? Because they tasted of the first fruit of the land as God, God extending to them their first fruit of encouragement. God said to them, you're going to possess the land. But God let them taste the fruit before they possessed the land. There are times in your life where you feel like God's answer isn't as big as you thought it ought to be. How many of you remember the servant that ran back and forth? The prophet said, I hear the sound of an abundance. Somebody say abundance. He said, well, I went and I didn't see anything. He said, well, go again seven times. He ran and came back, ran and came back, ran and came back. Finally, he came back. Did the prophet not say abundance? But when he came back, he said, well, I see a cloud. It's like as unto a man's hand. He didn't say it was the size of a man's hand. He said, it's like a man's hand. I see a cloud like a man's hand. But what I think what he was really saying is, this doesn't look as big as what I thought it would compared to what you were saying. I heard what you've been preaching, and I heard what you've been saying. 
I've been hearing pastor preach about revival and harvest and been hearing him preach about increase, but God's only been giving me a little taste at a time. I'm standing here looking. I'm tired of running, and the only thing pastor will say is go back to prayer again. And now I've finally gone, but I'm starting to see what you've been talking about, but it don't look like what you've been saying. And so what happens is the children of Israel come to a place where they finally start seeing what they'd been hearing about. Woo! I'm stuck in this little niche right now. I'm having a hard time getting out of it. But somebody was talking to me the other day about harvest. I had a a pastor call me talking to me about harvest. And he was like, I I want you to tell me something exciting about harvest. He said, I've been preaching, teaching on harvest. And I said, I don't know if you want to hear what I got to say about harvest. Because the the thing about harvest is harvest is misrepresented from pulpits all the time. Because we say the harvest is going to come. There's never been a time recorded in history where harvest just came. That's never happened. Nobody has ever sowed seed and then sat on the porch in a rocking chair and said, well, come on. Nobody's ever got to sit on the porch, sip a cup of coffee, cross their feet and say, well, the harvest is here. And just look over that field and say, y'all just get into that barn. Y'all just get yourself up here and get into the barn. Harvest don't come. That's against the nature of the word itself. Harvest is harvested. And we get up and preach about harvest and people huckabuck and shout and dance and go to conferences and people preach on, you're going to go home and have the greatest harvest you've ever had. And we go home, we're like, Lord, where's the harvest? The disciples had the same spirit. And he said, are you seriously going to talk to me about harvest? He said, look on the fields. They are white already under harvest. The harvest is plenteous. Somebody preach to me right now. The harvest was never the problem. The laborers were the problem. He said there's a harvest, but I need a labor. You can't stand around and just encourage people on the false premise that harvest is coming. Harvest is coming. You know how you're going to get harvest? You're going to gather every day. You're going to reach every day. You're going to thrust your sickle in the ground every day. So, so what happens is they, they stand literally on the precipice, stand on this cliff overlooking the promised land, and they're like, wow, it's beautiful. He said, well, let's do this. I'm going to send you in for 40 days. So they go in for 40 days. It's amazing to me that they got one year in the wilderness for every day that they were in the promised land looking. They went for 40 days and ended up spending 40 years in the wilderness. I preached a sermon years and years ago, years ago at an Indiana camp meeting, 40 years of what could have been. Wandering in the wilderness. What would have happened if they would have took possession? The first time God let them see it. But you know, you know why I think they didn't? Is because the fruit was not sweeter to them. It wasn't sweet enough to them to convince them that the work was worth the effort. 
when they looked in and they saw the land and they saw they saw all all that was there. Thank God for houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. And I've been, man, I've I've preached the fire out of this, but I got to get this in the spirit of this church because I'm not here to just entertain people with preaching. I want you to understand. Even houses that you did not build are going to have to be repainted at some point. They're going to have to have caulk around the windows. They're going to have to have the floor swept. I, I rejoice in it, man. I've, I've preached camp meetings and got people standing on their heads in the corner. God's going to give us houses we didn't build and vineyards we didn't plant. But that vineyard's not going to plant itself next year. There's only so much residual seed that falls in the ground at harvest time that produces any kind of harvest the next year. If there's going to be a harvest, it's going to be an intentional harvest. If we're going to have possession, you don't, you don't possess the land just because you walk in. And I think that's the image that we get sometimes when God said you shall possess the land. I think what that means in our, some of our minds is that the children of Israel walk inside. They just cross over the invisible barrier of the promised land and go, hey, ding dong, we're here. They just ring that old proverbial door. Ding dong. Guess what? We're here. You have to leave. What does possessing mean? Possessing doesn't mean showing up. God, I'm about to preach right now. Well, pastor, I come to church every week and nothing's changed. Because showing up is a big part. you got to show up. But just because you show up doesn't mean God has to show out. I've seen people, Lord, I don't want this to sound mean, but I've seen people that show up for years and they never get a breakthrough. I've watched people that come, they, they come for years and they never get happy. Because just showing up is not what it's all about. you got to show up with intention. I'm not just showing up because we're supposed to go to church. I'm showing up because this is the place where I'm going to see my victory. This is the place where my children's going to be saved. This is the place where my marriage is going to be saved. This is it. I'm not just showing up. I've come to possess some things. Ah. And so, so, so looking at this, I, I'm saying the houses that were built there were not, that was not their inheritance. It was part, God said, you're going to live in houses you didn't build. But listen, if the people that move into the houses they didn't build have children, then there's not enough houses next year. If their families are growing, the harvest that they had at possession is not enough harvest next year. We got this mindset in Pentecost, and I'll be, I'll be really honest with you, I think it's one of the toughest things to break. Not, I mean, salvation, you know, salvation is one of those things I talk about it Sunday in, in Bible class. Salvation is a, a tough deal because once somebody gets saved, they feel like they've possessed. And really, a, a lot of times, and don't, please don't think I'm being negative, but a lot of times the only thing they really possess is a few. 
They occupy, they occupy like square footage. And they sit in the seat and we become, we become creatures that we just receive. We come and if it's not the style of music we like, then it's not our favorite preacher. And so we lean in the direction of entertainment rather than possession. And, and it's, it's so funny because there's certain things that are our preference. But preference and possession are not the same. God did not fill us with the Holy Ghost for us to just feel good. God filled us with the Holy Ghost to live lives of overcomers. Oh, God. Can I, can I just be honest with you? I've been a musician all my life, all my life, literally. There's never been a time in my life I didn't play music. I started playing at our national conferences when I was 10 years old. I've put up with a lot of goofy music. I have. I've had to sing and listen to people sing, sound like a bunch of clucking chickens. I've heard people sing that can't carry a tune in a bucket. I've gone to churches where their music department consisted of one guy that had four teeth, a six-string guitar that had four strings on it because two of them fell off. And you're like, and then they turn and say, all right, Brother St. Clair, come on up here and preach. You're like, oh, God. I preached in church one time in the country. and I mean, if I said it tonight, I'm, my dad's, I'm talking about country, 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 country. You can't even get there from here. And I was in the pulpit preaching. And the people started running, which I'm an aisle runner. I like, I like running aisles. But I'm preaching, and there's really nowhere for them to go. And when one guy ran, like four or five of them ran, and they're running straight at the pulpit. And I'm like, where are these dudes going? I'm trying to preach. I'm like, oh, God, where are they going? Where are they going? Where are they going? Where are they going? And they got to the, pu the pulpit, and they ran up on the platform and ran behind me, and cir they started circling around me. And went back and sat down. I thought, well, good God, if you can get to victory, just go get it. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something I learned. I'm gonna, and I'm being serious. I'm going to tell you something I learned as a young kid. I was raised in different churches every single week of my life. And I didn't like the music at every church. But I don't worship the music. I worship the maker of heaven and earth. And I don't worship the preacher. I don't worship the style of the preacher. I, I don't worship the body language of the preacher. I worship the God of the message that the preacher's preaching. And if I'm, if I'm, if I'm having to listen to music at a conference I don't like, you know what I do? I get up and I worship God. If it's a preacher that's not my favorite, you know what I do? I stand up and I lift my hands. You know why? Because we've got this whole thing backwards. I came to magnify the Lord. I did. As Pentecostals, we are not consumers. We are absolutely not 
consumers. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. It is not a republic. We do not get a vote in the kingdom of God. David David did not give them a choice on the song selection when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. He didn't give them a chance to write down the five or six songs they were going to sing. And if they didn't like that, they voted the choir director out. He was the king, and he told him, he said, you strike up the band. And whatever you play, and every six paces, he danced, the Bible said, till he danced plumb out of his clothes. I'm telling you tonight, I haven't just come to get a taste of this thing. I've come to give God the best I can give him. I've preached in rooms that had thousands of people in it. And I've preached in rooms that had two or three. And I preach just the same to two or three as I do to 3,000. I've preached in prisons. I've preached in jails. I've preached in places where nobody else wants to go. I'm telling you tonight, I've preached places some of you wouldn't even go. If I took you in there with me, you'd say, I'm going back to the room. But I, I don't, I'm not giving myself to this because of my preferences. We do this because we are so in love with him. Are you hear what I'm telling you? I preach in places that I didn't like the color of their carpet. I preached places and went back 25 years later and they still had the same carpet. And I've walked in and I was like, I didn't like that in the 80s when they put it in. But believe it or not, it may be coming back into style. You just never know. I tell my girls all the time, you just hold on to your clothes that you don't like. Because it won't be long. I'll tell you one thing I'm glad it's never come back is bell bottoms. Somebody give him praise on that tonight. Uh, guys, those are pants that are really big at the bottom. I do wish we could find a happy medium because some of the, them skinny britches look like they're painted on. Well, let's just say me and skinny jeans don't get along. If I put them on, they ain't skinny no more. Well, I've lost y'all. You're dismissed. But I'm saying to you, it's amazing the things that people get frustrated about. They get, they get frustrated because the temperature's two degrees colder or warmer than they have it at their house. Woo. I'm glad every church you've preached in, Brother Snow, has a thermostat that works. How would you like to be in his shoes? Where you're, preach, you're preaching in a building where you don't understand the language, but your wife does, and she can say whatever she wants about you while you're preaching. <laughs> I hadn't had the guts to ask her yet if she translates what he's preaching or just preaches her own sermon. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just glad my wife speaks English. It's, it's amazing. It really is. The things that we allow to frustrate us and the things that we get sidetracked with. 
Brother Billy didn't even look at me. Must be mad at me. Sister so-and-so looked at me cross-eyed. I'm like, hey, hey, just the way she sees people, you know? It's, it's amazing. It really is. I look back, I look back on my life. I, I, can't, I really can't believe that I'm only a couple months away from being full-time here 24 years. That's insane. And can I say this and not, y'all not think I'm mean? You may not let your kids talk, talk like this, but I'm going to tell you, I've heard a lot of dumb stuff in 24 years. I'm talking about, Lord have mercy. If I wrote a book, y'all wouldn't buy it. You'd be in it. It's, am it's amazing. And people get cold. Man, they get cold on God. Get mad at me and sit on God. It's something now. And I've always preached this. And if you know me, you know it's honestly God's truth. I believe this. If you can't be saved in this church, then you need to go somewhere where you can be saved. I, I'm, I'm not booting anybody out. I'm just saying to you tonight, I'm never going to let frustration keep me out of heaven. And I'm never going to let frustration keep me out of the house of God. I am not going to get frustrated when God gives me a taste of great things and turn away from the promise that God has given me. You know what I want to do? If God's going to give me a taste of it, I want to possess it. If God's going to let me have a glimpse of it, I want to live in it. I want y'all to get this picture with me right now. Man, I wish I could, I wish I could do it. If, if I could ever make my brain look like a video screen, it, it would be cool sometimes. If while I was preaching, I could just project my brain onto a screen, I, as long as there was an off button, I'd do it. But when I was a little kid, uh, for some reason, this is just a fond memory to me. Uh, and I recently saw this pastor and his family some time ago in, from Arcadia, Florida. Brother Kennedy and his family were just, they were just special people, very kind. And while we were preaching for him in Florida, I was probably seven years old, somewhere in that neighborhood, seven, eight years old. And there were orange trees there. And I'd, I mean, I'd never been anywhere. In Indiana, I'd seen apple trees, you know, they were pretty ubiquitous in the fall at least. And I'd never been around orange trees like that. And they were like heaven. I mean, they were like the sweetest. Y'all want some orange juice right now, don't you? They were succulent. They were sweet. They were fabulous. And I'd go over to that tree and I'd pull one off. And I literally would, would eat oranges. And orange juice was dripping off my elbows. That's what I see. At Ashcall. I see these jokers. Was it, was it you Monday? It's talking about these are the grapes they had in the promised land. I think it was you in the office. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about these little old bitty grapes. I'm talking about they were so big they named the place. 
I believe they had grapes that was big as grapefruits. I believe, I believe they were eating, and I believe them ten boys, I believe when they took a bite, it ran out their mouth. I believe it ran down their garments. I believe the first fruit of victory was so good. I believe they had pomegranate juice under their nail beds. Come on, somebody. I, I believe they had fig seeds in their teeth. I believe it was the best fruit they'd ever had in their life. And this is the part I'll never understand is how God can give you a taste like that and you'll walk away from the taste of the first fruit and say, there's no way I can do it. Can I tell you something I know to be a fact? That the greatest temptation to quit in serving God, in my opinion, is going to come at the taste of first fruits in your life. For a lot of people, that's when they just first start serving the Lord. Their greatest temptation is going to be to quit not long after they come to the Lord or a backslider comes back to the Lord because as soon as you start doing righteousness, the enemy comes at you from every direction. Or as Brother Barry said, he'll come at you in ways you do not understand. The enemy will come at you from every direction and he knows how to use people. Oh, don't let that surprise you. And I'm not saying he's ever used anybody in this church, but he does it in other churches for sure. And your, frust- your frustration is, but I thought if I was doing the will of God, it would be easy. Come on, I'm preaching to you and I'm preaching to me tonight. I thought since I was serving the Lord, this was going to be a lot easier. I thought since it was the will of God... This was going to be a lot easier. And they're standing there with dried grape juice on their, on their tunic and still got fig, fig seeds stuck in their teeth. And they, they've got pomegranates on their breath. And they're, they're breathing. As they've got, as they've got the, the scent of first fruit on their breath, they are exhaling and saying, we can't do it. Can I preach to you? And the devil starts getting people frustrated at first fruit. That taste of revival. When I say this tonight, I don't mean in any way to tear down where we've been. But I don't believe we've seen our greatest revival in this church. I believe we've tasted revival. I... (laughs) Man, I don't know if I should be this personal or not. Is there anybody in here that's took the Lord at his word and you went ahead and and gave that sacrificial offering that you didn't want to give and then just like weeks into it, something came up where you're like, Lord, I desperately needed that money. Me and my wife have given sacrificially And then a car will break down. You know what that is? That's frustration at first fruit. Because you obeyed God. And then the enemy tries to get you to think God's a liar. And you you start questioning things. I tried God and it hadn't worked. How long did you try him? 
Listen, I'm going to tell you, I can answer that for you. You tried him just long enough to get frustrated. And this is where people quit. They taste of the fruit and they get frustrated because what they're looking at is bigger than them. And they know they can't do it on their own. And the reason we get frustrated is if we could fix it on our own and we could afford it on our own, then we wouldn't need his help. I can't say it publicly tonight because people will see it. But there's a, pl- there's a place not far from here that God's given me a burden. That if the Lord will help us in the next little while, we're going to put a preaching point there. We're going to start, we're going to start a, a Bible study there. And I was on a, ri- a long ride the other night at sunset by myself. I was just riding. And I drove to that town, and I started driving through, and I started looking at some of the buildings and the things that were there. And I was like... God, it'd just be so amazing if we could see, if we could just see something happen. And I, I started hearing the voice, started hearing the voice. You don't even have your building paid off. Don't you have enough trouble in Anderson? Aren't you just satisfied with what you got there? Folks, listen, listen what I'm telling you. The devil's going to start trying to talk you out of your promise. Just about the time God puts the taste of that promise in your mouth. I wonder how many people in the kingdom of God, God has called to start a business. And just as you tried to start that business, you let fear get a hold of you and you stopped and said, I'm not going to do it. You got frustrated at first fruits. Woo! Can I ask you a question sincerely? How many prophets does it take to confirm a word in somebody's life that God spoke to them? How many times does God have to speak to us before we say, okay, God, I'm hearing you. For me, sometimes he's got to talk to me a half dozen times. But you know what? Every time the devil talks, you just start listening. It don't matter how many sermons I've preached and evangelists come in, preach the same thing. Bishop would get up and say something. And every, every single one of them be like we read out of the same note, notebook that week. God's not done. God's going to fix it. God's going to put it together. And you walk out and the devil says, that ain't never going to get fixed. You're like, well, I guess you're right. You know what? Sometimes, guys, be honest. Sometimes as your pastor, you know what? I'm, I'd be all right if I could just get one of these. You know what? Maybe you're right, pastor. Sometimes I'm preaching for just a, maybe you're right. Because I'm tired of the devil trying to convince you all the time that there's no way God's ever going to do it. I'm I'm tired of the devil having free range in the pasture and speaking doubt and confusion. I I know this sounds silly. Oh, God, you're going to think I'm so elementary. But you you know what I want to do? I want to take that juice of first fruit that's on my breath and just blow it in his nostrils and say, you know what, devil? I want you to just smell of the victory that I'm getting ready to walk into. I've already got a taste of it, and you're in trouble. If you wanted me to never possess that, you should have killed me before I got a taste of it. If you didn't want me possessing it, you should have killed me. 
You should have killed me before God spoke to me. You should have killed me before I baptized that family. You should have killed me before I got that Bible study. Because now I've got a taste of it. And I'm not going to quit until I possess. What would have happened if all ten would have came out and said victory? What would have happened if ten of them would have came out and said, Oh, I felt victory while I was there. I saw victory while I was there. But let me encourage you tonight. It's usually not the case that the majority sees it. Let me tell you something, Brother Caleb. You better stay next to Brother Joshua. Because if the group of ten could ever pull you over and start whispering in your ear, they'll convince you it ain't never going to happen. And misery loves company. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Maybe y'all get tired of hearing this kind of preaching. But I'm going to tell you. I'm going to preach it to you tonight. Come here, Bishop. I'm going to preach it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to connect myself up with somebody that's talking about what I'm talking about. I'm going to yoke myself up with somebody that's talking the same language of revival that I am. I'm going to talk to somebody that when I dance, they start dancing. I'm going to talk to somebody... I'm going to yoke myself up with somebody that says we can do this. We can have revival. I'm telling you, if you'll pack a prayer room out with people that just believe it's worth it and we're not going to get frustrated at first fruit, we'll see it break. Can we go to verse number 27, please? Chapter 13. Numbers 13, verse 27. This is amazing to me. They told him. They said, we came to the land where you sent us. Listen listen to this, y'all. And surely it does. Flow with milk and honey. And I, I, I wish I had something to hold up. They said, this... Is the fruit of it. Look, I'm talking about holding it. Are you hearing me? Like, the Bible said the grapes were so big it took two men. Did you read it? I can just see it. We went. You were right. It's milk and honey. And this is the fruit. Watch this. Verse 28. Watch. Nevertheless, I'm talking about they don't even, they don't even, I know they didn't have verses when they were saying it. They didn't even give one verse to rejoice over fruit. Like, here's fruit. But anyway, nevertheless, anyhow, I'm talking about got purple mouths. Look like they like look like they had an overflow of Welches. Done run their best shirt. Nevertheless, the people, the people be strong. You ain't gonna believe this. 
the cities are walled. And they ain't no little walls. They're big walls. You ever wonder why David never called him a giant? He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. Because David, listen, it's in your Bible. Go, go read it. 17th chapter. Before anybody ever walked over there to talk to Goliath, the measurements of the man and his armor and his spear, his shield, every bit, his measurements were listed before anybody ever went. You know why? Because David said, some people are going to stand around and measure things. But I'm just going to walk in the miracle. I don't care if he's a giant or if he's a pygmy three and a half foot tall. Something's got to be done about this. I don't care if it's strong people or weak people. I don't care if the cities have walls or don't have walls. And I don't care if they're great walls. This is the part I need these men to remember. That's your city. That's your land. God promised you that. God gave you that. Quit measuring the walls. Quit Quit measuring the people. Woo, come on, let's clap to the Lord for just a minute. I'm, hur I'm hurrying. So listen, if you really want to know what it was, the first fruit of the land was God's encouragement to the people. It was literally God encouraging the people that if, I, if I'll let these 12 men go in and taste of the land, they'll come out believing that they can. And God sent encouragement. Yeah. Oh, man. Can I be honest with y'all? I've had a lot of prayer meetings in my life with grape juice on my breath begging God for an encouragement. Did y'all miss what I said right there? I want that to make perfect sense. I've had first fruit on my breath and say, God, would you please just send somebody? Could you just like... Man, I don't even want to say things like this publicly because it makes me look probably like less of a man. But I can't tell you how many times in my life I'll wake up early in the morning for prayer. And God will put somebody on my heart, different state, different part of the world. And I'll either call them that day or send them a text that day and just say, hey, I'm thinking of sometimes. I, I, the Lord put a man on my heart the other day just out of the clear blue. I just... Just like, boom, right now, there he was, saw his face. I sent him a message, and he said, I don't think you understand the timing. He said, when you sent me that text, I was sitting in a meeting that determined some very important things for the next move of our movement. And I've had days like that where you call people and you encourage people. Get that spirit of Sandy Duggleby on you. Send a card to somebody. And I've had them days where I'm like, God, could I just get a card? Come on now. I know, I just came down four notches in some of your eyes. I've had them days where I'm like, God, if my phone would ring and somebody just say one positive thing. 
I feel like I'm closer. I don't want nobody calling me today, God saying my belly hurts. I want somebody calling me today saying, God knows your belly hurts and he's going to heal yours. Come on. Sometimes we spend our time praying for encouragement. But we miss the encouragement that he sent. Because it didn't taste like success to us. And we measure success by what we see. God have mercy. I, I, I got to get where I'm going. I'm, I'm, I'm almost finished. Take me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse number 20. The Bible said that Jesus... We'll go to the scripture in just a moment. The Bible said that Jesus died and he was buried. And, and I don't have time to run through all the feasts for you. When I'm preaching on it, I'll go through it. But Jesus rode into town on the 10th of Nisan. The day of the Lamb was slain on the Passover, was put in the ground. And he was resurrected on the Feast of First Fruits. His resurrection happened on the Feast of First Fruits. And on the feast of first fruits, when his disciples had said right here in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ has risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That's not just words. He was literally resurrected on the feast of first fruits. I'm on a shortcut here, zig zigzagging to get where I'm going. But on the morning of the feast of first fruits, when Christ resurrected and they came to the garden. There was disappointment and frustration at first fruit because the tomb was empty. And the first thing that they think is somebody moved him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When they walk in, they didn't say, oh, that's right. He said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. He must have did what he said. They walk into the garden and the answer has come at first fruits. And they say, oh God, who stole him? And they're frustrated at first fruits. When all of a sudden a voice says, hey, don't touch me. I haven't yet ascended. But I'm just here to be a voice to let you know. Don't get frustrated at first fruit because I really did what I told you. The, the Bible said that he showed himself for 40 days with many infallible proofs. And on the road to Emmaus, he encounters a couple of disciples who were frustrated at first fruit. And they said, have you not heard what happened? He said, happened to who? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, what? I'm going to tell you, sometimes you're walking closer to him than you think you are. 
It's just obscure in the moment, and you don't recognize it's him walking with you. Don't get frustrated because if he said he's resurrecting, he's going to resurrect. If he said he's getting up, he's getting up. If he said your family's coming together, it's going to happen. If he said you're going to have revival, you're going to have revival. If he said you're going to be healed, you're going to be healed. Stand with me tonight. Stand with me. Frustrated. God, I'm so frustrated. I'm just so frustrated. What are you frustrated with? I'm frustrated that I'm not seeing what I want to see. That's the problem. You're looking at an empty tomb and you think it's a bad thing. Can I just finish with this tonight? We got this spirit in our movement. And I know I could, I could probably sing it right now and make everybody happy. I'm going down to the enemy's camp. I'm going to take back what he stole from me. We've preached recovery so much in Pentecost that the only thing we care about is getting back what he took. But I want to tell you, that's part of his plan. Is to convince you that the only thing you can ever have is what he took. And that's all you're getting back. But I've come to serve notice on the devil tonight. I'm coming. But I'm not just coming for what you took. I'm coming to get everything that you took. And I'm... I'm coming to get everything that belongs to my family. And I'm coming to get everything that belongs to my city. And I'm coming to get everything that... Be- oh, I wish somebody would hear me right now. I'm not here to just recover. I'm going to take the city. I'm going to take the land. We're not just going to recover. We're going to take what's ours. Stay with me. I'm, I'm done. But we talk about I'm, I'm going to go get my joy back that he took. Okay. Go get your joy. But that's not all the joy you got coming. There is joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm not just going to get the joy that he took. I'm going to go get that joy and joy unspeakable. Pastor, I've just been frustrated. You're not the only person. You're not the first person. You're not going to be the last person. But I want, I want to tell you, before you go getting frustrated at the empty tomb, wait for the voice. Because there's a voice that's about to speak to you. And you're going to know that God really will do everything that he said he's going to do. Before you get frustrated with the size of the cities and the size of the walls and the size of the men and the size of the battle. And you've got the battle all measured out. My marriage is never going to prosper. My job is never going to get better. My kids are never coming home. Stop measuring. Stop. And just know that tonight God has given you a taste of first fruits. Because I've come to give you a taste of hope. Somebody's coming back home.
Pastor, you just don't know how far gone they are. You obviously don't know how far he can reach. Woo! Frustration. Frustration will make you wander around your possession while you could be possessing. I'm here to reach for somebody tonight. You may not be frustrated at a single person. and You may not be frustrated at God. Matter of fact, I'm in the Holy Ghost when I tell you this tonight. You don't even know what to be frustrated at. You've just been frustrated. Come on, I'm telling you, it's in this room right now. Somebody said, like, what's got you so frustrated? You're like, ah, just everything. Come on. I'm like walking up in your Kool-Aid tonight, and I know the flavor. What, what, what are you so upset about? Just everything. You know what vague answers are like that? You don't really have a good one. I'm just, man, I'm just frustrated. You know what you're frustrated at? You're frustrated at first fruits. Because God has let you taste it. And you think you should have already had it. But understand me tonight. Your harvest don't just come to the front porch. We got to get off the front porch and go after what God said we could have. We're going to have it. Come on. Somebody in here tonight that needs some peace of mind. I want you to step off the front porch and step into your harvest of peace that passes understanding. Somebody in here that feels like you've lost your joy. I want you to get up out of your rocking chair and step off the front porch into the harvest field of joy unspeakable and full of glory. Praise God. I wish somebody say hallelujah or something right now. I'm going to make a new rule tonight. Y'all may not like it, but I'm going to make a rule right now. I like making rules. I'm going to make one. I feel the spirit of Bishop Golder on me. They said Bishop Golder had a couple that came into his office one night said they needed premarital counseling. They sat down. She was huffing. I know you can't imagine that. She was huffing and puffing. He was quiet as a mouse. Wouldn't say nothing. They sat down in Brother Golder's office and said, we need counseling. He said, have you prayed about it? She said, no, sir. He said, then get up and walk down that hall and don't come back in here until you've both prayed an hour. What's your rule, Pastor? Here's my rule. You can't tell nobody how frustrated you are until you go to God in prayer and say, I've been frustrated at first fruit. But I'm not going to stop right here. I'm going to taste of your goodness and I'm going to dance my way into the promised land. And I'm going to tell the enemy, if you think this harvest is big, you wait till you see what God does next year. You think this house is something? Wait till you see the house for my kids. Because God is a blessing God. And it's His goodness running after us tonight. Come on, lift the high praise. If what I preach can't make you happy, your happy button's broke. Somebody's going to leave here with victory tonight. 
Somebody's going to leave here with victory tonight. 